G'day and welcome to episode 29 of The Other Side Australia, your weekly summary of the best news and views from a classical liberal perspective. I'm Damien Curry, the cranky man who thinks the country's drowning in woke nonsense. This week, we have wonderful news on the failure of ABC propaganda. A look at the people who are really running this country into the ground, in my view. The Australian of the Year gets scolded for becoming too political. Grace Tame took an inappropriate swipe at the new Assistant Minister for Women. And Scott Morrison gets scolded for being a wuss. Lawrence Fox, the British actor who cannot stand identity politics, is taking on the wokest in the land, London Lord Mayor Sadiq Khan. We'll be looking at that too. If you're new to the show, just a full proud disclosure, we are biased, biased towards traditional Western cultural values, institutions, classical liberalism, small business and free market economics. We are anti-left and anti-woke on this show, just so you know exactly where we stand. We do not pretend to be neutral like some news programs do. Let's go. A spot of good news in the culture wars this week as the ratings for this show and discernible generally keep going up as we volunteer our time and operate on a shoestring. I'm very pleased to say that the very well-funded lefties at the ABC are copying a well-deserved kick in the guts. As this graphic from the Australian newspaper based on Oztam ratings data shows, the number of people watching Q&A used to be around 500 to 700,000 from 2012 to 15. Then it took a big dive, which should have told everyone at the ABC to wake up to themselves, plummeting between 2016 and 2020 to just 400 to 500,000. They didn't wake up to themselves, and now it's just 230,000. This should be a wake-up call not just for Q&A, which if it was a commercial TV show would be axed, but to the entire ABC and all media outlets and advertisers especially, that woke is dead. People have had enough. I know it's bad to smile at the misfortune of others, even one's political enemies, but I just can't wipe the... Matt, just get the camera off me while I, I try to stop smiling. Okay, I've composed myself. I want to start the show this week on a bit of a philosophical note. So I want to talk about liberalism generally and where we're at in Australia in terms of public conversations in the media and politics and among our academics and teachers. Last week, we talked about how communist China's government's using our own culture wars in the West against us, fueling the flames of division to divide and conquer and, West and weaken the dominance of Western culture, the culture that they copied the bits of they liked, which has made them more rich and powerful than authoritarian communism ever could have. Today, I want to talk about the culture wars here at home. The culture wars are very, very real, and freedom is losing. Classical liberalism, libertarianism, conservatism, we're all losing. Liberty is something that if you don't remain vigilant in standing up for, you will eventually lose. You see, there are plenty of people out there who want to control other people's lives. But if you're a true classical liberal, you think everyone just wants to live and let live because that's what you want. But they don't. And I'm not talking about our politicians. I'm talking about the bureaucrats who really run our governments the public servants at middle and senior management level. You know, the kind of cops who actually get off on breaking into people's homes and arresting their pregnant wives and mothers in front of their children just for posting a thought, an opinion on Facebook. How in God's name did we get to this in Australia? And it seems nobody cares. Palaszczuk gets back in, McGowan gets back in, 
And what an obnoxious, self-righteous jerk that police officer is. We should never, as Australians, ever forget that one. This episode alone should have been the end for this Victorian Labor government. Well, what about the kind of teachers who think nothing of pushing their political views onto your kids, especially if it fits their Marxist identity politics BS of critical gender theory, which you gave them no permission to brainwash your kids with? Or the kind of government departmental managers who are happy to use taxpayers' money for their own pet projects. Hey, Dopey, it's not your money. And then there's my favourite little mid-level bureaucrats of all. The kind of ABC journalists who think they have a right to use taxpayers' money to push their own narrow worldview and ignore all others. To the point where, unlike America and Canada and other parts of the world, Australia only has one side to its media debates, with everyone pretty much marching in line with the inner-city postmodernist ideology set. These public servants are the ones who really make and enforce the rules. And so they make rules and laws, and then they increase their own budgets and staffing levels, and then they make even more rules and laws, and then they increase their own budgets and staffing levels even more, and then they make more rules and laws, and on and on and on it goes, until pretty soon you can't walk down the street or buy a certain drink at a certain bar after 11pm, you can't do this, you can't do that, and you've got the biggest bureaucracy monster you've ever seen on your hands. And now they're coming for the most intimate parts of our lives and our most sacred freedoms, the family, our sexual privacy, and our religious beliefs. But the power wielded by these bureaucrats who think every solution is more government this and more government that, it's like a creeping slow glacier. And we are like the frogs in the boiling pot. And since very few of them have ever taken on the risk of running a business, hiring people, or actually having to be accountable to a free market and competition, they make the rules to suit people like them, not the rest of us, the people they're paid to serve. So we end up with schools run for teachers' needs first and students' needs second. Hospitals run for nurses and doctors first and patients second. Aged and disability care run for the staff first and the clients second. A police force and criminal law system run for lawyers and cops. And the public interest and civil liberties second. And worst of all, tax and business regulation systems that work for the government, not the businesses that they're supposed to encourage and help to grow our economy and create more jobs. Now, before you freak out, let me be very clear. I am not saying that there are not exceptions to the rule. Great teachers who give so much above and beyond the call of duty are actually in the majority, I think. My late father was one of them. And there are many wonderful police officers who put their lives at risk every day to protect ours. They too are in the majority. Incredible nurses and doctors who work harder than anyone could imagine to save lives, especially now, are thankfully in the majority. I'm talking about the public service system failing them as much as it fails the customers. Good teachers can't be paid more because that might be unfair, but bad teachers can't be sacked for the same reason. Same for nurses, same for police. It's a nexus of unions, government bureaucracy and policymakers driving the left-wing agenda of equity. But equity, despite its lovely sounding name, is not fair, nor moral, nor good. Equity seeks equality of outcome, which is bad, instead of equality of opportunity, which is good. Why is equality of outcome bad? 
One reason is because it punishes the exceptional. And that damages all of us because we don't get the best people doing the things they're good at if we don't reward them. Why make all the sacrifices to become a doctor if you don't get any more respect or money? A lot of NHS doctors in the UK are looking for a way out of that system. If you're a teacher and you want to explain this to your kids in your class, just tell them there's a test tomorrow that you expect them all to do well in, no matter what. But no matter how badly or well they do, they'll be getting a B because you don't want to offend anyone. So you want to enforce equality of outcome. Now, what do you think might happen to your A students? Equality of outcome, equity, punishes the hard worker, the high achiever, the risk takers and the innovators. And that damages all of us. If we punish the very people we want to have doing the things that they're best at, without whose wisdom, hard work, and yes, sometimes God-given talent and good luck, we'd all be worse off, then as a collective, as a society, we're shooting ourselves in the foot. Hierarchy matters. It's natural. Hierarchy is fair. Hierarchy is necessary. Equity destroys hierarchy, and that is not a good thing. Imagine fighting a war with an army based on equity you'd never survive. And that's exactly the direction we're moving in and China knows it. So that's why we do what we do here on the other side of the good source, even though we constantly get criticized by the louder, better funded and much more supported left. We push that glacier back a bit, or at least try to halt it. And we hope that enough people will see what's going on, how left-wing political parties like Labour and the Greens, unions, media and the public servants all work in that nexus to hold power and drive their agenda. You know, sometimes it works and we get a breakthrough, like ScoMo winning the election two years ago. But then he gets hijacked by the machine and avoids reform for fear of losing office. Can't blame him, I guess. And once at a blue moon, you get a unicorn who breaks through the system, like a Campbell Newman in Queensland, who won in a landslide in 2012, decided to reduce the size of the public service and the government to protect liberty and avoid plunging his state into more debt. And then the machine kicks in again. The public servants start undermining them. The media and unions start campaigning against them. And pretty soon, they're out the door and we're back to square one or worse. All I really want to see is a government that at least talks about liberty, that at least talks about trying to remove some laws and reduce regulation and shrink the size of the public service for once at least talks about freedom and the individual citizen's right to mostly be left alone by government. People can't vote for what they don't know can exist. And we on the conservative and classical liberal side of politics do a pretty bad job of selling the vision and the message of liberalism in this country. We constantly allow the left to set the agenda and put us on the defensive on issue after issue. We need to explain to people that there is a different way to run the show. One that respects them as adults rather than treating them like children. Instead of, please wear a mask, it's a sensible thing to do that may help contain the spread of the virus a bit, but we're not sure, but do it anyway, just in case, please. It's, put a mask on or you'll get a ridiculous fine or go to jail, and if you don't wear one, you're a deplorable right-wing nutjob. That approach just makes people want to say, go shove it. What about a system that honours people's freedom and ability and responsibility? to take care of themselves rather than swooping in to save them from any of life's difficulties with governmental programs and welfare like an overprotective mother whose kids will never fully grow up. But like an overprotective mother, government doesn't want you to grow up because then the people who like to control everything won't be able to control you 
so easily. Do you know what I've always wanted to make? Cake. No. Animated promotional videos. But I don't know how. <laughs> I can't go on. I can't go on. Animated promotional videos, as taught by Matt on oh. Udemy. There'll be a link below. You can get it cheap and support Discernible. Get into it. Now, I don't do trigger warnings usually, but in this case, just a warning that we are going to be discussing sexual abuse of teenagers and the content will get a bit unpleasant in this segment. The Australian of the Year, Grace Tame, has copped some criticism this week for her comments during an interview with Kerry O'Brien at a Brisbane university, during which she attacked Scott Morrison's creation of the role of assistant minister for women. She said it was a kind of window dressing and the named new assistant minister, Senator Amanda Stoker, was criticised for her track record on fighting abuse on university campuses. More on that in a moment. But first, and much more importantly, I think, I'd like to invite you to have a listen to Grace Tame tell her story. The link to the whole interview at Griffith University is in our program notes. What worries me about Australia at the moment is we don't seem to be able to have nuance in our discussions. So we on the right side of politics shouldn't fall into the same kind of cancel culture BS that the left does. You know, I don't share Grace Tame's politics and I'm about to criticise her attack on Amanda Stoker, but I won't condemn her, ever. She's a strong, smart survivor and an inspiration. She's worthy of honour and praise for her incredible bravery and what she did. Grace Tame was a child victim of a foul pedophile. At age 15, she'd been groomed and repeatedly raped and sexually assaulted by her 58-year-old high school maths teacher, Nicholas Bester at St. Michael's Collegiate Girls College in Hobart. One part of the interview with Grace Tame that I think is really important to note is the story of the grooming process, the process by which child abusers target their victims. This is something Tame wants out in the open and to be taught to vulnerable kids.
It's a hard interview to watch, but important to do so, I think. You know, Grace Tain is not the Greta Thunberg of the women's movement, as I've been seeing some right-wing commentators imply. The only thing she has in common with Greta, thank goodness, is her initials. But like anyone, Grace isn't faultless, although she comes a lot closer to it than a lot of us, given what she's been through in her life. The Courier-Mail's Kylie Lang writes this week that while Tame has done some wonderful things, publicly slamming the Prime Minister this week and questioning his cabinet reshuffle are not among them. Lang also notes that Ms Tame has been a courageous and great agent of change and won that long overdue amendment to the ridiculous Tasmanian laws which prevented sexual assault survivors from speaking out. But Kylie Lang suggests that Tame would do well to restrain from overreaching if she wants to continue to make a positive difference. You see, during the Griffith Uni interview, she dumped on ScoMo's appointment of Queensland Senator Amanda Stoker to the newly created position of Assistant Minister for Women, like this. I agree that Grace Tame has gone a step too far and a step too political for an Australian of the year. I'm also not comfortable with the way she's conflated her criticism of Bettina Arndt with her criticism of Senator Stoker there. That seems like a cheap and calculated political play. Suspiciously political. Let me explain where I'm coming from. Bettina Arndt is someone who is far from perfect. She's a well-known media commentator, celebrity and sex therapist and a highly controversial anti-feminist. On the positive side, she gives a voice for men in a culture that prohibits men from speaking out for themselves a lot of the time. She shines a light on the fact that not all men are harassers, abusers and rapists, and that not all women should be believed. Female voices like hers are very necessary nowadays, and I agree with 70% of what she says and does but I couldn't believe what I was seeing and hearing back in February last year when Bettina Arndt interviewed the convicted pedophile Nicholas Bester on her podcast. Yes, the guy who systematically groomed and repeatedly raped Grace Tame when she was only 15. The interview has been taken down, but this is how the left-wing New Matilda website reported on it, with some clips. Today I want to introduce you to a so-called sex offender to show you these stories are often much more complex than we assume. 
This is not a man with a history of sexually preying on children. Grace Nicholas Bester was charged with maintaining a sexual relationship with someone under the age of 17. But how would you describe what actually happened? Uh, I was preyed upon and carefully selected because of my eating disorder um, and other vulnerabilities and then groomed over a period of several months before being abused repeatedly for six months. That's how I would describe it. I mean, you think it was reasonable that you had to serve a prison term in that circumstance? Um, it was the law, it's the law. And the law is quite clear, you know, if, if, you, if you're having sex with a woman and it, she is 17 years old today and it's five, one minute to midnight and she's 18 tomorrow, then tonight it's illegal and one minute past midnight when she's 18, it's, it's legal. They found some images of children on your computer. Can you tell me about that? Yes, I can. Um, what happened was I downloaded a font. A, um, it was a, actually a copyright font, so the download was illegal, and it came down in a zip file. And I opened the zip file, and all of these images suddenly splayed themselves all over my desktop. Definitely not Bettina Arndt's finest moment, by a long shot. But back to Grace Tame. She conflated Bettina Arndt with Senator Amanda Stoker pretty sloppily in those comments in Brisbane. She criticised Stoker for supporting Arndt. But listen again. Sounds like she's really trying to confuse the audience there by tying Senator Stoker to Aunt in the worst possible light. Tame also claimed that Stoker was an advocate for, quote, falsifying all counts of sexual abuse on campuses across the nation. Falsifying all counts of sexual abuse on campuses across the nation? That, my friends, is utter rubbish. The Courier Mail's Kylie Lang points out in her opinion piece that Senator Stoker is someone who has publicly called out university disciplinary codes that lack the rigours of criminal law. Stoker wrote in the Australian newspaper in 2019 that students were being subjected to university codes and committees that were, quote, adjudicating on the facts of the allegations without many of the safeguards that ensure fairness in our criminal justice system. It's a really important point, and I couldn't agree more with Senator Stoker. She said both accused people and victims deserve better than kangaroo courts to determine serious matters such as allegations of sexual assault. Pretty sensible and sound stuff from a very smart young senator. As Kylie Lang put it in her editorial, a more productive approach for Ms. Tame 
might have been to acknowledge that the Prime Minister is addressing the Liberal National Party's poor record on female representation in Parliament. Lifting the number of women to seven out of 23 isn't earth-shattering, but it's an improvement and people should always be appointed on merit and not to fill a quota. Mr Morrison also established a task force for women to tackle equality, safety and economic well-being. But instead of welcoming it, Ms Tame sniped that she thought of it first. If Grace Tame wants to pursue a career in Labor politics after her year as Australian of the Year, that's fine. I wish she had different politics because that intellect and tenacity and resilience would be a huge asset to the Conservative side. But I'm not sure that using her position as Aussie of the Year right now to play hardball politics is good for her, her cause or the title itself. Even non-Christians find it useful to reflect on the philosophy of Christianity at times like Christmas and Easter. Our culture didn't pop out of nowhere. It was at least in good part shaped by Christian values and principles of love, forgiveness, justice, service to others, humility, respect for self and others, and family as the core unit of society. Angela Shanahan is a Canberra-based freelance journalist and a mother of nine children. She's written regularly for the Australian newspaper for more than 20 years. Her commentary this week touched on many of the major issues of our time from a different perspective to what we're used to hearing. Angela writes that Australia is both a wonderfully free society and one that's become weighed down by ideological correctness. In our hypersexualized society, which infects women as much as men, the family has been deconstructed. Consequently, Western society is losing its center, so we have trouble disentangling the real from the image, truth from falsehood, especially in sexual relations. It's a society where the mainspring is power, not love. It's a society that to preserve some semblance of order and decency encourages hypocrisy. And hypocrisy is not the sole preserve of men. Angela goes on to say that what was in fact a political demonstration and an entirely confected political crisis was hypocritically presented as some great wellspring of female dissatisfaction against the whole male sex. She says that is a feminist mental landscape that only values and craves power. Unfortunately, during this debacle, Scott Morrison looks like he's being pushed around because he keeps on apologising. For what? That is the real reason Morrison's popularity has slipped. It's not because he hasn't addressed the issue for women, whatever the issue is, but because he is acting like a wuss. It is, frankly, a purely political situation, and he is not calling it. He, like a lot of people in public life, is so hamstrung by the demands of ideological and emotional kowtowing that he's unable to identify the truth from falsehood, the image from reality. That's Angela Shanahan writing in The Weekend Australian on Saturday. Ms. Shanahan wasn't the only Conservative commentator with some words of advice for Mr. Morrison regarding his present leadership style. Professor David Flint had this to say on his weekly commentary show, Take Back Your Country, on the Good Source platform. The Prime Minister is going around, he's like a mindless fish. He's swallowing every bait that's hung before him. 
particularly those that come from the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. What the country needs is leadership, and leadership involves an attachment to principle, it involves character, and an ability to communicate that to the people of Australia. Mr Morrison in office is far too easily distracted by issues which are not federal issues, rape and assault, and race and gay hate crimes are of course of great importance. They must be solved, they must be reduced. But unfortunately, they will continue. We've always had them and I suspect, unfortunately, there will always be a degree of criminality. But this is for the police and the police are mainly a state matter. And Mr. Morrison has been too easily swayed from course, not only by these issues, by, but by all sorts of scandals and trivia that have been brought before him. He must stick to the big issues. And the biggest issue, of course, at the moment is the virus. The government completely mishandled that. The politicians take credit for the fact that we have a low infection rate and fewer deaths. But what we should have done was we should have followed world's best practice. And that was evident at the time. It was obvious that Taiwan, the Republic of Taiwan, which has experience in viruses, epidemics, pandemics, which come in from communist China, it was Taiwan that worked out world's best practice. And they've done it without any lockdowns of any significant parts of business. They haven't put businesses out of business. They haven't put people out of work. They haven't had something as ridiculous. Well, not as ridiculous, but as necessary as JobKeeper, which is shortly, or has just gone off. And as we know, more jobs. It's thought up to 150,000 jobs and about 110,000 additional businesses, businesses additional to those that have already closed, may well be seriously vulnerable. And all of that was absolutely not necessary. So we've got a situation. We have a situation in Australia where the important national issues are being ignored. And in particular, we have an obsession with global warming, a bipartisan obsession with global warming. The Labour Party has ensured that its policy is very similar now to that of the Liberal Party, but they both endorse it, and they both consequently endorse our having moved from having the lowest electricity prices in the nation, the lowest electricity prices in the world, to what are among the highest electricity prices in the world. And if you have that with high labour costs, you're going to ensure that very little manufacturing will be carried on in Australia. A lot of common sense in about three minutes there from the wise Professor Flint. You can find that whole editorial and all the episodes of Take Back Your Country on the Good Source platform. Well, the City of London is having an election for Lord Mayor. The incumbent Lord Mayor is Labour's Sadiq Khan, a man who probably sleeps with a copy of the Communist Manifesto under his pillow. He is woker than woke and never misses a chance to play identity politics. Sean Bailey is the Conservative candidate. 
He's targeting Khan's woeful financial management of London transport and his inability to control crime on London streets. Also in the race is the actor Lawrence Fox. The 42-year-old is best known for his leading role as James Hathaway in the TV show Lewis. He also starred in many films, including Gosford Park, Becoming Jane and Elizabeth, The Golden Age. And he sings a bit too. But he really became famous for this moment on Britain's equivalent of Q&A, the BBC show Question Time, in January last year, during a discussion about how poorly Meghan Markle was being treated. Uh, the problem we've got with this is that Meghan has agreed to be Harry's wife, and then the press have torn her to pieces. And let's, let's be really clear about what this is. Let's call it by its name. It's racism. She's a black woman, and she has been it's torn not racism. to pieces. You can't she has been torn to pieces. It's not racism. It absolutely no, it's is. Not. We're the most tolerant, lovely country uh, in Europe. Let's celebrate our goodness. It's so easy to throw the charge of racism at everybody, and it's really starting what to get boring. What worries me about your comment is, you are a white privileged male who has oh, no experience. Oh. I mean, can I just... I can't I, help what I am. I was born like this. It's an immutable so characteristic. You, so, so to call cannot, me a white privileged male is to be racist. You're being racist. You cannot dismiss. OK, OK. After his little episode on BBC, he made no apologies, doubling down on talk radio the next day. Well, we have to remember that what they're accusing you of is what they are, and that's why I stand up against them, because they are everything they accuse you of. You think the people who are going around shouting racist at everybody... The, the, wo the wokists, I think, are fundamentally a racist Why bunch, do you yeah. think they are? Because they are racist. They see colour everywhere. They see colour everywhere. It's the only thing they see. Yeah, and identity politics is extremely racist as well. Um, but you were criticised by none other than, I mean, of course, it was only a matter of time, the singer Lily Allen. That hurt. Uh, that, I bet that really hurt. Uh, she, she uh, what a surprise, expressed her view on, on Twitter, say she was sick to, sick to death of lovies like a Lawrence <laughs> going on TV and forcing their opinions on everybody else when they'll never have to deal with what normal people have to deal with in his gated community. Stick to acting, mate, instead of ranting about things you don't know anything about. I mean, pot, meat, kettle, kettle, meat, pot. It, I love the fact that you can go... I mean, she's had a pretty privileged, oh dear, upbringing, but no, she speaks for the, for the common man doesn't she? And my gated community, we need to get some gates for it. <laughs> because, um, yeah, I've, uh, it's not gated. Now, Lawrence Fox has launched a new political party called Reclaim, and he's already raised a million pounds. The aims of the party are to defend freedom of speech, reform publicly funded institutions like the BBC, and celebrate British history. Lawrence Fox spoke to the American podcast Uncommon Knowledge about his plans. Well, I want to reclaim your freedom. I want to reclaim your freedom to work when you want to work, where you want to work, and how you want to work, and remove all the obstacles that stand between you and rebuilding after these lockdowns. And I want to reclaim your freedom to move, to be with whoever you want to be with and when you want to be with them, your fundamental human need to be together, in sickness and in health, and to never take that freedom away again. Nobody should say their last goodbyes to anybody on an iPad ever again. You just ran a full-page ad in British newspapers, Winston Churchill muzzled. The caption, your London, your freedom, reclaim it. An American audience needs an explanation. Churchill muzzled? 
Hi, Peter. How are you doing? Um, thank you for having me on. Yes, he has been muzzled. History can't speak back to the, those that wish to rewrite it or to remove the parts that are unpleasant for them. And um, I thought there's something very powerful about the idea of people putting up edifices to heroes and then people forgetting the heroic acts that they undertook and instead trying to rewrite it. So I thought, you know, we are living in a, in a period of extreme censorship and um, extreme political correctness as well. And I thought, and we're also living in an era of mask mandates as well. So I thought this covers several aspects of the entire freedom of speech debate, which is one of the reasons why we're in the situation we're in lockdown wise in London. And also one of the reasons we're in how we are culturally in terms of, of revising our history in a way that's more palatable to others. All right. So your agent dropped you, they staged a campaign against you, Twitter went wild, all of that. But then you could have fought back for a day or two and retired to the countryside for a year and waited for it to blow over. Not only did you dig in rhetorically attacking right back on Twitter, you founded a political party. Well, how do you go from a bumpy evening on question time to founding a political party? Well, it's interesting, actually, and I can blame you Americans for a lot of this because I keep my eye on America much more than I do in England often because I'm trying to see what's going to come our way. And I remember Victor Davis Hanson being very good on this, but also um, Ben Shapiro being very good. And he said, do not apologize ever to, to those because you're still going to get your head chopped off at the guillotine and it's still going to be the terror. So do not apologize. Stand up for yourself. As much as you can, and um, I sat there for a, possibly a period of months, feeling like very distraught because my it's my source of income, you know. And also, I love acting and I love mm. art. I think art is incredible. Not so much at the moment because it's not art at the moment, but that's a different story. And um, I just thought, right, I have to do something about this problem. And I wanted to start a movement. Essentially, it is a movement in a lot of ways because it's based around an idea. It's not based around me, even though they try and make it about me. Um, and I was approached by Jeremy Hosking, who is a, he, I call him a rebalancer. He wants to rebalance things. He, he's saying if, if conversation is going too far in one direction, he would like to rebalance it in the other direction. He said, well, start a political party. So I ummed and ahed about it. And then I thought, okay. fine. And Sorry, so now, for, for purposes of this conversation, the... Yeah. Jeremy Hosking is a fascinating man in all kinds of ways, but for the purposes of this conversation, yeah. here's what matter. He's fabulously rich. He was able to underwrite. Fabulously rich. All right, fine. Carry on. He's Just wanted to get that fact in. Yeah, he's worth hundreds of millions of pounds. Uh, he's a great guy. And I and he said, start political party. We argued about it, whether I should be a movement or a party. And in the end, we, we agreed that it would be a party. And actually, now I'm very grateful that we did agree it was a party. Because if you look at the way the government are heading off in one direction at the moment, it's great that we will have at least some of the teeth. Nick Tyrone in The Spectator, quote, here's the thing. If Lawrence Fox is serious about politics... He should become a Tory. Why didn't you? Become a member of the party that gets voted for most often party. No, thank you. Um, the, the thing about the Tories is that they will say, they'll talk a good game always, but they just want to remain in power. And the thing about me is I don't want to be in power. I want the idea to be in power. And the idea is freedom of expression and the broadest possible debate. It's not really about me. You're running for mayor of... London, London, 
of all places. If you're going to hammer the things on the on the cathedral door, you've got to ham, hammer them on the cathedral door. You know, this is um, th- this is the moment. It's it, London is is the is the cathedral of wokery. It's the cathedral of identity based you know moral supremacy and i think i don't care you know also when i spoke to the other people that were thinking of standing for mayor of which there are several i was like i'm going to do it anyway whether you do it or not because it doesn't matter if i lose the only thing that matters if i stand that's the most important thing all right lawrence fox announcing his candidacy for mayor of london and importantly i want to reclaim your freedom to speak to be yourself to be part of the national conversation to cherish your history rather than rewrite it and to teach our children to be confident not ashamed of who they are and where they come from british actor turned london lord mayoral candidate lawrence fox there speaking with the american podcast uncommon knowledge from the hoover institute at stanford university you know where to find the link to the full interview well it's time for our comedy segment and this week we return to the hilarious jp spears who has some advice for the people who are running President Biden. You guys are doing a great job. Now, after watching his performance at the recent press conference, I'd give him an A. Great job. So solid. But I wanted to sit down with you here today and watch the game film and offer you some advice on how he could get to an A plus next time. So let's see if we can find any areas with room for improvement. In this clip, you'll see the president openly and honestly expressing his own thoughts from note cards. We have somewhere, I, I, I asked the staff to write it down for me and they did, not for this, but for a, a longer discussion. We have somewhere, uh, in terms of infrastructure, we have, we rank 13th globally in infrastructure. Ooh, <laughs> sometimes when someone's just reading off note cards, it makes people wonder, why does he have to read off note cards? But before we get to some advice on this, let's take a look at a clip of Joe answering a question on North Korea. Let me say that, uh, number one, uh, UN Resolution 1718, was violated by those particular missiles that were tested, number one. We're consoling with our allies and partners, and uh, there will be uh, responses if they choose to escalate. Um, We will respond accordingly. But I'm also prepared uh, um, for some form of diplomacy, Um, but it has to be conditioned upon the end result of denuclearization. So guys, Joe read the entire answer from a note card, and powerfully so, I might add. But next time, you might wanna have Joe not read off note cards for a couple reasons. One, having the exact answer to a reporter's question pre-written kinda makes it look like you knew the questions beforehand. So it kinda looked as if you pre-wrote questions, gave them to friendly reporters, to ask Biden, and then Biden read pre-written answers from note cards. And that kind of makes the whole press conference look more like a theatrical performance than an actual press conference. Yeah, people don't like deception. Ooh, and it also makes people aware that he's not speaking his own thoughts from his own mind. The other thing is when you have the president reading off note cards that were magically pre-written in the past to answer present moment questions, he's looking down the whole time. In normal human communication, looking at someone, possibly even in the eyes, 
creates a connection, a note for improvement. Instead of using note cards and cheat sheets to try to convey the image of a functioning mind, just use a teleprompter. Now you might be saying, <laughs> teleprompter? Those are for pre-written speeches, not press conferences with unknown questions and off-the-cuff answers. <laughs> Why don't we just call this what it is and use a teleprompter? That's my professional advice. JP Spears nailing it once again. You can find that whole clip on YouTube at the link in our program notes. And that's it for the show this week. I'd like to give a little shout out to everyone who sent their condolences on the passing of my father, Leisha Joseph Curry, last week. It's been a tough week and I'm going to miss him a lot. He gave a lot of direction, advice and moral support to this show. But 90 years was a terrific innings and he lived every minute of it right up to the very end. So for that, we, the family, are very grateful. We'll see you next week.